Good evening. My, my name is Noelin. I'm a member here, and I'll be reading our sermon scripture passage for today from Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Um, if you'd like a copy of the Bible, we have the blue Bibles in the pews. Feel free to grab one and keep it as I give to you. Again, we'll be reading from Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He's the, he's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good evening, Doxology. My name is Steve. For those of you who don't know me, I'm really glad that you're here with us this evening. And for those of you who are new, I know we've had some new folks who've been coming in over the past few weeks. Uh, we're a relatively new church. Uh, we just started uh, not long before the pandemic started. It's been a wild and interesting ride since then. And uh, But put simply, what we're all about here is we would love for everybody in this city to be equipped and empowered to know Christ and, entre and treasure him and to live every single area in light of his gospel, of what he's done and is doing in our lives. And we just started a new series in Hebrews. Last week we did an overview of the whole book, and then today we're really jumping into these uh, first four verses. And uh, what we said last week is the overarching message of Hebrews is to persevere together by drawing near to Christ your present help. Okay, persevere together by drawing near to Christ your present help. And this is, if you really think about this, it's both a sobering and invigorating message at the same time. Right, so persevere. There's an implication here that the author wants us to get that uh, there's a very real possibility that, you know, even if you grew up in the church, even if one of your parents worked in ministry, uh, it's not outside the realm of possibility that you may abandon the faith. And so to take this seriously and know that, you know, following Jesus, it's not for the faint of heart. Uh, it's not for those who just want to coast. And so hence the exhortation throughout this whole letter to, to persevere, to run the race all the way to the end. And that's the sobering part. I hope this is challenging for us, but challenging in a good way, because notice the second half, by drawing near to Christ, your, your present help. Uh, the only reason why we should bother persevering and why we can do so not in a, you know, heavy way, but with joy, especially in a culture today that's so often bereft of hope, is because we have Christ who didn't just do things in the past for us, but he's alive and with us today uh, as our help and as our priest. And we'll see what that looks like as we go throughout Hebrews. And so uh, a theme that you're going to see the author, uh, this drum that you're going to start to see the author beat, is this theme of Jesus is better, right? So today we're going to see Jesus is the better word. The next week we'll see Jesus is better than the angels. And the week after that we'll see Jesus is, you know, better than Aaron. He's better than Moses. Jesus is better than, Jesus is better than fill in the blank. Um, and the point is, unless you see that Jesus is better than anything, you know, relationships, career, career trajectory, whatever it may be, then you won't draw near to him. And therefore you won't persevere. Okay, and so today what we're going to look at is, what does it mean that Christ is the better word? Uh, Christ is the better word, is the main idea of today. And we'll see the author take us through four ways that Jesus is the better. Sorry, some of you are getting beamed in the face by the sun. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, maybe we should get curtains next time. Um, but yeah, okay, so where were we? Four ways that uh, Jesus is the, the better word. And so I'll, I won't give them to you in advance. I will just go through these uh, one at a time. And first we see, and we'll, we'll just follow the path of the text. The first thing is we see Jesus is better because he's the final word. Uh, Jesus is the final word. So verses one and two. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So here you notice the author is setting up a contrast right at the start. So he says, long ago. He divides history into two points. So long ago is from the first human beings ever until Christ came into the world in his first appearing. That's long ago, or the Old Testament days. And then he says in the beginning of verse 2, in these last days, or in these final days. This doesn't mean, okay, we only have a few more weeks until the end of the world. Uh, these last days is a phrase that Jesus and the New Testament writers use to refer to the entire era between Jesus' first coming and his incarnation, and then his second coming in the future when he'll come to renew the world. Okay, so last days before Christ, 
these last days of the time we're in now, uh, in between Christ's first and second coming. And then what does he say about how God spoke? So verse 1, he says, In the long ago, before Jesus came, God spoke to our fathers at many times and in many ways. So he spoke to us through a variety of means. He spoke to us through prophets. He spoke to us through angels. He used dreams. He used fire in a bush. He even spoke through a donkey. This should give you and me hope. If God can use a donkey to communicate things, he can use you and me. Okay, God spoke in a variety of ways, but he contrasts that to whereas in the past he spoke with variety. Now, in these last days, he hasn't spoke with variety, but he spoke with finality. He spoke with finality. See verse 2. He's spoken to us by his son, referring to Jesus. And so in other words, before Christ came, all the ways that God used to speak, as helpful and important as they were, they couldn't combine to express the fullness and the beauty of everything that God wanted to communicate to us. We needed a better word. We needed a word with a capital W. We needed a word with a definite article. We needed the word, Jesus Christ himself. And then see what he says in, at the end of verse 3. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So purification for sins, uh, we'll see this a lot through Hebrews. In short, it's referring to uh, his work on the cross. And after Jesus went to the cross to provide forgiveness for us and entrance into his kingdom, what did he do? He sat down. Okay, when you sit down after doing something, it implies what? It implies you're done. You're finished, right? So if you mow the yard or you're working on a house project and you sit down, it means you're done. And so um, this is one of the most amazing things about Jesus. Everything that he needed to do to accomplish our salvation, he, he finished at the cross. And so see what the author is doing here is he's saying as complete and final as Jesus' salvation is, his work in his incarnation, death, resurrection, so is his revelation to us and his word to us final and complete. Okay, or put succinctly, Jesus is the climactic, full, and final revelation of God to us. So what does this mean practically for us? Uh, it means at least two things. It means at least two things. So the first thing that should do when you know that Jesus is the full and final revelation of God, everything that he's given you that you need for this life and the next, one that should make us more thoughtful and it should change how we think about, quote-unquote, seeking God's voice. Okay, so when you think about seeking God's voice, now is God alive and active in our midst today? Absolutely, and we're going to see that throughout Hebrews. But when we know that Jesus is the final word, as we read the gospel accounts, and then the rest of the New Testament, which are the New Testament authors clarifying and amplifying the message that Jesus himself gave, that's the final word of God. What we're being told is the only way you can really be sure, and some of you are going to get worried, but just bear with me. The only way you can be sure that God is speaking is when you read it in his inspired, full, and final word. And here's an example. So um, there's an individual named George Whitfield. He's a well-known preacher in the 18th century. And George Whitfield's uh, wife was named Elizabeth, and they had a little boy. And when they had this little boy, uh, George Whitfield believed that he heard, you know, a clear, audible word from God that his son was going to grow up to be a great preacher. And, you know, his wife's name was Elizabeth, and Elizabeth was the mother of John the Baptist in, you know, in the New Testament. And so what Whitfield did is, he said, okay, well, I'll name my son John, because you know, he's going to grow up and be a great preacher, just like John the Baptist was a great herald of Christ in the New Testament days. And so he, he told, you know, he had thousands of followers, and he told all of his followers, you know, this is what God told me, I'm naming my son John. And tragically, I believe his son was under a year old and caught an illness and died. And what Whitfield said in reflection is he said, you know, I realized what happened is I took a very sincere and good desire for my son to know Christ and then proclaim him to as many people as possible. But I took that desire and I confused my heart's desire with an actual audible voice from the Lord. And so as we see that Jesus is the final word, it, does God use impressions in your life? Does he use drawing you close to him in prayer and in corporate worship like we're doing now? Does he use other people in your life to communicate things to you? Absolutely. But the only way you can really be sure that he's communicating is 
is it clearly revealed or does it square with his clear final reveal, revealed word? And this is good news because, you know, anytime you want to know that you want to be sure that someone's speaking to you, you need to make sure it's words from that person. Right? So I, I think for some of us, um, we need to, as we think about hearing from God, I think sometimes we, why we miss the full experience we can get from God working through his Holy Spirit, making his word come alive in the context of community in our present circumstances is because we don't give the Lord enough credit for what he does through the word. And, you know, one of my uh, mentors, he wisely told me, he said, you know, if, if you feel like God's told you something, check with the Bible, because if it contradicts something in the Bible, it can't be God telling you something. Check with your wife, because you're one with her, and check with your elders and those who you're in community with. And if, you know, all those things match up, then move forward. And this is why I still haven't purchased a New Zealand vacation home. Because every day, I believe God tells me, purchase a vacation home in New Zealand that's shaped like a hobbit hole. But I checked with my wife. She says no. Checked with my elders. They say no. So, you know, maybe one day, hopefully. Okay, but in all seriousness, we can experience God plentifully. Everything we need when we look for him in his final revealed word. And the second thing we see, and this is more for those who don't follow Jesus, and maybe maybe you're here and you're exploring the faith, you don't know Christ, or, you know, maybe some of you who are believers and you're in a season where you're thinking something like this. So one of the most common critiques of the God of the Bible, who claims to be a relational personal being, is that he's silent, which makes a lot of sense, right? So, okay, God, if you're, you're claiming to want a relationship with me and you're doing all these things, why don't I hear you? You know, so like, I'm praying, I don't hear anything, and, um, I've read a number of deconversion stories that go something like this. You know, so I used to call myself a Christian, or I was exploring the faith. And, but then a number of series of events, of very difficult events, happened to me. And so I finally, I, you know, I, just, I was at the beach, I walked to the ocean, and I sat there on the beach, and I cried out to God. God, if you're there, please say something. And I was met with nothing but deafening silence. And so I have, you know, since abandoned, abandoned the faith, I can't believe. And... I, I get it. I really do. I, you know, story for another day. I've been there, and it is disturbing when you want to hear God's voice, not as a philosophical exercise, but you really want to know, God, are you there? And if you're there, do you care? And what the good news of Hebrews is, and he's echoing what Jesus himself said, is God has spoken fully and clearly through the person of Jesus. And so if you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus. If you want to hear God, you listen to Jesus. So if you want to know how does God respond to the doubter, you look at Jesus. If you want to know how does God respond to those who are in pain, you look at Jesus. If you want to know how does God respond to those who are hurting or terrified or alone, you look at Jesus. When you look at the pages of Scripture, you see nothing less than someone of superlative greatness moving toward, embracing, caring for, strengthening, and giving promise and presence to those who are hurting, and yes, even to those who have failed him and hurt him. It's in Jesus Christ that we see the face of God and hear the voice of God. And that's wonderful news for you and me. So Christ is the better word because he's so clear, and we can know he's God speaking to us. So that's number one, Christ is the final and clear revelation of God to us. Number two, Jesus is not just the final and clear word. He's the authoritative word, the authoritative word. And so we see this in verse two. In these last days, he, that's God, has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. So through whom, uh, so whom he appointed the heir of all things, the heir is the one who receives the inheritance of the parent, right? So Jesus is receiving everything that belongs to God, so he owns everything, but also through whom he created the world. So it's not just that Jesus is inheriting everything that belongs to God as the Son. Oh, that was the, you know, in its cultural context, the Son inherited everything from the Father. But Jesus also created everything because he is God. And so the point here is 
Jesus is the sovereign authority over everything. And because he's the sovereign authority, this means his word carries sovereign authority in our lives. Uh, there's an individual named Charles Taylor. He's a uh, professor of social science, among other things, at McGill University. And he wrote a book called Sources of the Self. It's way too long. But in short, in the book, is he describes how we tick today, uh, primarily as Westerners. And he says, you know, in many other parts of the world and throughout all of human history, the place that we look to for our authority, you know, the place that we look to to find, you know, what is right and wrong and what's the vision of the good life, we would look to, it was an external orientation. So we would look at, you know, what does our community say? What does our family say? Or what, what, is, the, what is a transcendent standard like God? What, what does a transcendent give us? And we would conform ourselves to that authority. And he says what's unique about our time and place is that we move from an external orientation of authority to an internal one, where in our lives, the final authoritative voice is who? It's the self. Right? It's listen to your inner voice. Follow your heart. And to a degree, I mean, I, I don't say this just to knock it, one, because we're all impacted by this. And two, you know, part of that ethos is because uh, we've seen how some people have just lived these really confined lives where they're just, you know, getting bludgeoned essentially by these other voices. And they, they never actually, like, live an individual life. So there's part of that, I think, that, that's good and true. But when we make that an absolute, you know, essentially listen to your inner voice no matter what. Just this is interesting to me because I was thinking about a number of years ago when Kelsey needed jaw reconstructive surgery. So the hinge joint of her jaw had disintegrated. It was, gave her intense pain. And so we were recommended to a great doctor in the area. And so we went to this doctor and he said, okay, you know, here's what we're going to need to do in the week's pre-surgery. Here's what we're going to need. To, here's how the actual surgery is going to go. And then here's what the post-surgery period is going to look like. And it would have been odd if in that meeting I looked at him and said, that's great, but my inner voice is telling me that we need to do something else. <laughs> right? Like, wouldn't that have been odd? And no, it was only by submitting myself and Kelsey submitting herself to that authority who knew more than us is how she received, you know, healing and then ultimate flourishing. Well, at least temporary flourishing, because, yeah. Uh, but it was a mostly successful surgery. And, but, you know, isn't this fascinating? Because, like, we get this in almost every discipline. Like, if, if we need help with our finances, we go see a financial advisor. If we're going to buy or sell, you know, uh, if we're going to buy or sell a house, we go to a real estate agent. We get in all these disciplines that we should submit ourselves to a higher authority, but as soon as it comes to the moral arena, we say, okay, that, that's great, God, but no, you know, here I need to follow my heart. And so what Hebrews is asking you here is, you know, as you think about every area of your life, you know, relationships, career, sex, or just more broadly speaking, you know, what is your vision of the good life? Are you ultimately listening to your inner voice? Does your inner voice have the final word? Or is it the clear good and final revelation of God? that you submit to as your life authority. So Christ is better because he's the final word, but, Christ, uh, but second, he's, he's the better word because he's the authoritative word that when we submit ourselves to him, he leads us into greater prosperity, not just for ourselves, but for those around us. Number three, Christ is the better word because he is the transformative word. He's the transformative word. How in the world do we get that? Okay, that's in verse three. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. The glory of God is God's beauty made visible. There's one way to think about the glory of God. It's his beauty made visible. And all throughout the Old Testament, just as one example, in Exodus chapter 33, when we see Moses is on Mount Sinai with God, and he says, Lord, show me your glory. And he wants to see the beauty of the Lord made manifest. And God says, no, because it'll kill you. Imagine that, someone so beautiful, it would literally kill you. But what God does is he passes by Moses. And when Moses goes back down the mountain, his face is shining brightly, even just by being in the presence of God. That's how glorious his beauty is. But if we look at God, it'll actually kill us. So by here, the author is saying Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. What's he saying there? So in 2 Corinthians 3 and 4, uh, the Apostle Paul writes that 
in Jesus Christ, we've been given the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And when we behold Jesus Christ, what, what he says is, we're transformed into his image from one degree of glory to the next. What's he saying there? It's by Jesus coming in the world, and he's the radiance of the glory of God. God is, he's presented himself to us in a way that not only doesn't kill us, but in a way that's relatable, in a way that we can have a personal relationship with. And as we hear him, as we engage with him privately and in, in, um, in corporate worship and so forth, we're actually transformed from one degree of glory into the next, into his image. Uh, because it's a little bit like this. Just maybe this sounds kind of abstract. You know, if you ever spend a lot of time with somebody uh, who, you could put you just spend a lot of time with somebody who, they, they feel like the embodiment of your ideals. You know, someone who's so courageous, so wise, so noble, someone who there's no difference between their public persona and their private persona. The more you spend time with that person, it, it changes you. I'm sure a lot of you can think of someone or some ones in your life who just by being in their presence, it changed you. And so here, when the author is saying, you know, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, is when you are regularly spending time with Christ and hearing from him in his word, it changes you profoundly and radically. And I think why we don't get this or why we don't appreciate this is because of the amount of time that it takes. Um, so the other day, or maybe this was a few weeks ago, Kelsey saw me changing Calvin's diaper and, you know, I was doing something goofy, like singing with him, or, you know, which none of you want to hear. But I was just, like, having a good time with him. And she was just looking at me, and I was like, look. And she goes, you're such a different person than when you were with Titus. You know, when, when Titus was a few weeks old and you were changing his diaper. And I was like, well, thanks? And she said, well, you know, you're just a lot more, uh, like, squeamish. And you get, like, one little piece of poop on you. It's like you freak out. You have to go take a shower. And, but now you just look a lot more comfortable. And, you know, now I have, you know, eons to go. As a, I mean, I have two kids under the, under the age of two. You know, I know next to nothing about being a dad. But I noticed in that moment of, that was a profound change that happened. Not overnight, but that was through hundreds of diaper changes, hundreds of showers, hundreds of changing, you know, hundreds of repetitions to where I became a different person. And so it is when you encounter Jesus. And so, you know, especially in, I, I think, our cultural moment where there is a pulsating desire for rootedness, a pulsating desire for, like, knowing that you're living a meaningful life, the, the way we get that is through repeated exposure of hearing from Christ and his word, being in community, you know, so on and so forth, but it takes so many repetitions, just like, you know, if you have water flowing over a rough stone, it takes years of that flow to smooth out the rough edges of the stone. And so it can just be so helpful to know, whether it's ahead of time or in the moment, that rarely will it be a single sermon or a single time in Bible reading or a single act of obedience or a single conversation with a Christian friend. But over, it's over time, the cumulative effect of sitting under God's word, of hearing from him, and then acting it out in real life is what changes you in profound ways. And so maybe for those of you who are just wondering, okay, like, is this actually doing anything? I think if you were to ask people who have known you for a number of years to, to, to point out the growth, I think, I think you'd be surprised. I mean, just for all of us to see the power of what happens when we receive this invitation from Christ. Um, not to give ourselves to someone who levies power over us you know, in an abusive way, but it's an invitation to have our minds enlightened and our hearts illumined by putting ourselves in proximity with Christ, the better word. Okay, and then finally, uh, lastly, what do we see? is Jesus is the word you can trust. So he's the final word, he's the authoritative word, he's the transformative word, and number four, he's the word you can trust. We see this at the end of verse three. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So after making purifications for sins, uh, we're going to get into this further on in Hebrews, so we won't go into detail about this right now. Uh, but in short, you know, a vital component of Christ bringing you into his family and kingdom was when he went to the cross. And here's how this is so helpful when it comes to thinking about Christ as our better word, you know, the main voice that we're listening to. 
is because, you know, we've talked a number of times already, you know, over the past uh, 20, 25 minutes about how we need to submit ourselves to the authority of Christ. And the reason why a lot of us have a hard time with submission to authority, uh, not just Americans, but it's a very human issue. And I think one reason we do is because we know that so many human beings, when they have authority and power, they often, you know, if not always, at the end of the day, will use it for themselves rather than others. And, you know, God is the largest, most powerful authority figure than there is. And so there can be a fear about actually entrusting ourselves fully over to this authoritative figure. And, you know, maybe if you wouldn't even say that out loud, you know, maybe there are days where you do view God as this, you know, this being who holds all the cards. And on a good day, he's just tr- trying to prevent himself like, from smashing you because of your behavior, your thoughts. And when we see that Christ is the one who made purification for sins for us, um, it completely changes everything. How we think about submitting to ourselves, submitting ourselves to him as our final authoritative word. And so just as a personal story, because this happened to me this week. So in my own reading, I'm finishing up the book of Matthew. And I was toward the end of Matthew, Matthew chapter 26, I believe. And, you know, most of my readings in the Bible are relatively mundane. You know, most of them aren't these mountaintop experiences. But uh, this morning, I've been having a hard time entrusting uh, a couple areas in particular of my life to Christ. And I was reading, and it just, you know, sometimes you've read something 40 times, and you read it on the 41st, and it, you know, it hits you in a new way. And so I was reading Matthew 26, where Jesus is in Gethsemane. And Jesus looks to, he has three people with him, uh, Peter, James, and John. And he says, my soul is sorrowful and troubled to the point of death. And so here's Jesus, and he is the most terrified that he's ever been in his life as he thinks about the looming shadow of the cross that's, you know, growing over him. And so he asks his disciples, can you just stay up with me? And he, you know, so please just stay up with me, watch and pray. And so he, he goes off to pray, he's trembling. He comes back, and they're sleeping. They're asleep. And he says, the second time he sees this happen, he didn't even wake him up. He just went back to pray, and it, I think it just struck me for the first time in that moment of fear for Jesus, just how utterly and altogether alone he was. Like, he wanted a sure word, like something from somebody to hearten him for what was about to happen, and he he didn't get it. And (laughs) what's even more astounding is he willingly put himself in that position. Like, he used his authority and power to actually make himself vulnerable. This was very personal. In order to bring me an undeserving in order to bring me, an undeserving sinner, a place of belonging. And I thought in that moment, I just said, this is one that I can entrust myself to. This is one I can call king. And this is the plea of the author of Hebrews, is to make Christ your treasure, not just because he's the final word, not just because he's the authoritative word and the, the word that will transform you, but also because he's the word you can trust with your life in this one and in the next. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you care about us enough to speak to us and to reveal yourself, uh, not just through intermediaries, like prophets and angels and dreams, but you made yourself human uh, to speak to us and so that we can know exactly who you are, exactly what you're like, and exactly what you sound like. I pray that you will help us as a church to be marked as a group of people, a new community who uh, listens to and joyfully follows your word. Uh, May that stand out in our culture and attract other people.